And welcome back to Rivalries on the WWE Podcast on this Friday, February 18th, as we are just one day away from the Crown Jewel, or no, not even the Crown Jewel pay-per-view, it's Saudi Arabia, so I thought it was Crown Jewel, but one day away from the Elimination Chamber pay-per-view from Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And I mean, I think it's shaping up to be a pretty good pay-per-view. Obviously, the chamber matches are my personal, that's my personal favorite match. Although they have baby-proofed it in years past, but it is still a pretty cool concept. I've always loved the format of the match. And I think we're going to see some pretty good contests here. I'm really intrigued by the women's chamber match. I'm really not sure which direction they're going to go with it. Um, And as for the men's one, I think it's also kind of up in the air. I think it's kind of like a three-horse race between Lashley retaining, Brock regaining the championship, and Seth Rollins walking out. But it will be interesting. But as always, you're not here to talk about Elimination Chamber or any of the current product. You are here to talk about rivalries. And today we are going back to the year 2004 for Eddie Guerrero versus John Bradshaw Layfield. And this is a rivalry that in a lot of ways ushered in a new era of SmackDown. And what that era was, was the post-Brock Lesnar era. Obviously, when the brand split first came into effect in early 2002, the WWE Championship, back then known as the Undisputed Championship was floated between the brands as they there it was not exclusive to one brand or the other but by the by the time Brock Lesnar became um champion in August of 2002 following his defeat of the rock at SummerSlam he quickly soon thereafter became exclusive to SmackDown and as we know they brought back the World Heavyweight Championship to Monday Night Raw And Triple H was the first ever world champion in that regard. And for almost the entirety of the latter part of 2002 and all of 2003, you kind of had the WWE Championship around one of two waists. Brock Lesnar or Kurt Angle. And a few weeks back, I covered that rivalry and just how significant... It was in legitimizing SmackDown as a legitimate contender to Monday Night Raw. And Brock, I believe, was more of the face of SmackDown at this time. I think that in an effort to legitimize SmackDown, they put the next big thing, the face of the company, what they thought at that time was going to be the future of the company over on that brand against one of the elder statesmen in Kurt Angle at the time. And a guy who I believe was one of the best workers of the Ruthless Aggression era. But by early 2004, 
they had really exhausted that rivalry. Like I mentioned in when I covered it a couple weeks back, that rivalry kind of came to a head at Survivor Series 2003 when Team Angle defeated Team Lesnar. And then obviously Brock Lesnar had a short, very brief, kind of insignificant rivalry with Hardcore Holly, quickly dispatching him at the Royal Rumble in 2003. So now that no one left, John Cena was still an up-and-coming guy just creeping into even the mid-card at this point. He had just turned babyface in November when he aligned himself with Team Angle to go up against Brock Lesnar. So he was a ways away. Over on Monday Night Raw, Batista was still almost two years away from getting to his peak level. You had Randy Orton still six, eight months away from getting his level. And... As we've talked about a lot in the Ruthless Aggression era and all the rivalries that I've covered over this time, they were really in search for top-level babyfaces on both sides. On Monday Night Raw, as we brought up, they were on a, there was a never-ending revolving door challenging Triple H for the World Heavyweight Championship from guys like Scott Steiner to Booker T to Kane to Rob Van Dam, Chris Benoit, Eventually, Batista became that guy. And over on SmackDown, John Cena eventually became that guy. And then they would eventually swap from brand to brand. But by the time you got to early 2004, and Brock was the heel WWE champion, they needed a babyface in the interim to challenge him for the title. And as we know, rumblings behind the scenes started that Brock Lesnar would be leaving the company right after WrestleMania. WrestleMania 20, that is. So they really had to fast track into finding not only a babyface who could take the championship off of him, but a guy who would hold that belt for a while while they figured out another guy to transition the belt to. Enter Eddie Guerrero. Eddie Guerrero, for the better part of, I want to say, a year, a year and a half, had been tagging with his cousin, Chavo Guerrero, or actually his nephew, pardon me. And they formed Los Guerreros, and that then that tag team ultimately hit a breaking point leading into the new year, the turn of the calendar 2004, and they collided at the Royal Rumble in 2004. Eddie Guerrero wins that match, and he goes on to bigger and better ventures. And this was right around the time where Eddie Guerrero started getting his singles push. And it was a long time coming for Eddie Guerrero when he eventually became the number one contender to Brock Lesnar's WWE Championship at No Way Out 2004. And I'm going to be honest, I really thought that this was just going to be another step along the way for Brock Lesnar. Much like he had faced when he faced Hardcore Holly the month prior at the Royal Rumble. But, you know, as a, how old was I at the time? Nine and a half year old. I had not become privy to all the rumors that Brock Lesnar was leaving the company. So on this night at No Way Out 2004, we got a shock of the ages in terms of the WWE Championship. Into the ring. Brock Lesnar. Has the championship gold in his hands in the ring. The referee's still down, so the referee's not going to have a clue what whatever Brock has in mind. I don't know. What is Lesnar doing? I don't know what Lesnar... Wait a minute! What the hell? 
champion's down. The challenger's down. The referee's down. I didn't get back in when they took him away. Coach Ross Goldberg speared our champion. Well, that's great. That's great. Goldberg just ruined everything. Get the business out here. But the champion's down. The challenger's down. The referee's been knocked out. In his hand. No. Eddie Guerrero measuring Brock Lesnar. The WWE Championship no. is on the line. Well, no, Brock, watch out. Watch your back. Lesnar to his feet. Wake up, have to wake up, ref. Eddie Guerrero measuring no. the champion. Oh, this for the championship. Shot to the midsection again. And Eddie Guerrero back to his knees. Lesnar so smart, so quick. And Brock Lesnar. Hey, now, Here it comes, Cole. Bang, bang, Out of the goal. Out of the goal. Out of the goal. Eddie Guerrero, DDT, out of the championship goal. He cheated. Eddie Guerrero cheated with that move. Come on, Eddie. Come on, Eddie. Eddie to the top rope. Eddie cheated. Frog splash. Frog splash. Come on, So one of the most feel-good, if not the most feel-good championship victories in the history of the company, Eddie Guerrero defeats Brock Lesnar for the WWE Championship. And for me, not to use a cliche or anything, but this came out of nowhere. Maybe if I was older at the time, maybe if some older listeners are listening to this, you guys knew on wrestling rumor websites or what have you, or you just had better wrestling psychology at that time i did not see this coming whatsoever because the build for eddie guerrero i don't think had been that that strong like he had just defeated chavo guerrero in the breaking up of los guerreros and then next thing you know he's beating arguably the most dominant competitor there had been in wwe for the preceding 18 months a guy who had beaten the likes of the undertaker twice the rock kurt angle the big show like Brock Lesnar had run through the entire uh, WWE locker room, at least on the SmackDown side of things, and then he gets defeated by Eddie Guerrero, a guy who had been stuck in the tag team division for the better part of a year and a half. And I thought it was amazing because it was a guy that the fans got behind very quickly. And good on Vince McMahon for reading the pulse, or having his finger rather, on the pulse of the, the WWE universe at the time. At the time it was just the fans. but And knowing that they would be behind this. And obviously he won by hook or crook in classic Eddie Guerrero fashion. But he found a way to get the job done. And it was a way to protect Brock Lesnar. Obviously Goldberg getting involved back when the crowd actually really wanted to see Goldberg, or guys like me wanted to see Goldberg, spears him, Eddie Guerrero hits the DDT reversal onto the championship, although it was kind of botched if you watch it, but 
That's neither here nor there. And he hits the uh, frog splash. So you protect Brock Lesnar as well. But you also have Eddie Guerrero in the classic charming lying, cheat, and stealing on his way to his first ever and would ultimately be his only WWE championship. So obviously Brock would only stick around in the company for one month longer. He builds to the match, his match against Goldberg at WrestleMania and good nights to lights for Brock's first run in WWE that lasted just about two years, which is crazy to think about. For Eddie Guerrero, he collides with Kurt Angle at WrestleMania, an instant classic, fantastic match, and retains the championship against Kurt Angle. But following WrestleMania, there was nobody for Eddie Guerrero to challenge. And that's where JBL comes in. Because Brock walks away. Kurt Angle, I believe he was injured in real life or... He just needed time off from the ring because he becomes the SmackDown GM. I don't know if you guys remember that when he was in the wheelchair and he couldn't walk. But there was no one left for Eddie Guerrero to face. You know, you had the big show. But at that point, the big show had just dropped the U.S. championship to John Cena. So I don't think the big show was really a WWE championship competitor level at that time. They did the WWE draft and that brought Booker T over to SmackDown. He was a heel, so maybe, but even Booker T, he hadn't been a world champion since the days of Batista uh, of WCW. And then you had the APA, which breaks up a few weeks following WrestleMania. And next thing you know, Farouk gets fired, but John, but Bradshaw, as we knew him at the time, keeps his job. And following the week where Bradshaw basically turned his back on Farouk, we got a very different look at the man we once knew as Bradshaw, but came back as John Bradshaw Layfield. If you'll just listen to me, you'll understand and you'll appreciate the fact that what I did was the right thing. You see, Ron Simmons, you don't understand. He's my best friend. He always has been. We drink more beer and we've been on more roads than most of you people can ever imagine. So when Paul Heyman quit Monday Night on Raw, I knew this was my chance. I knew this was my chance to get Ron's job back. I knew this was my chance to make sure that the APA stayed in business. But I'm not going to do that. Listen, I'm explaining, please. I've got a lot more than just wrestling going on. I appreciate everything that Ron Simmons has done for me. I appreciate years and years of friendship. But I've got a portfolio that has beat the stock market seven out of the last seven years. That is phenomenal. I've got a financial book by Shaman and Schuster out, and I'm writing another book right now on keeping America strong. I've got a radio show that starts May 1st. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about finances. You people are going to love this radio show. 
I have become the top financial analyst on network TV. Fox News loves to have me on. I could not, I simply could not walk away from all that I've got. So is there a more easily hateable guy than um, than John Bradshaw Layfield? But, I mean, he did it well, man. And this was the first time we had ever seen JBL as JBL. And I'm not going to lie, I loved the APA. I always thought they were a quality tag team. I thought they were staples of the tag team division for the better part of five years. And they were just consistent, constant guys you could throw in to any tag team match. And I think that it was ballsy of them to really do a 180 with Bradshaw's character, move on from the APA, and go down this road of pushing him as a main event level heel. But at the same time, I don't think they really had a choice. <laughs> that That's the, the fact of the matter here is that WWE did not have a choice on SmackDown. Brock Lesnar walked away from the company and Kurt Angle was injured. And the other part about that was, is that Kurt Angle had been in the WWE Championship picture for the entirety of 2003. He had held the title from December 2002 all the way to WrestleMania 19 in March of 2003 and then regained it in the summer of 03 and dropped it in September of 03. So Angle had had two decent solid runs with the WWE Championship. Now, I think that Kurt Angle could have gotten another run, but he eventually would as the World Heavyweight Champion. But we also know that his body had begun to break down, I guess, gradually during this time in 04. And he plugs in as the SmackDown GM in the interim between Paul Heyman and eventually Teddy Long, who would be appointed in the summer of 2004. But aside from Kurt Angle, they couldn't just ride him into the ground. So they use a guy like JBL, who had been in the company for, I believe, eight, nine years at this point. By 2004, he had started as uh, in the Blackjacks or something, I believe, and then had a good run as Bradshaw with the Acolytes as the part of the, uh, the Ministry of Darkness. And then when they broke away and became the APA, and then they were going to try him in this role and... You know, I think that maybe they pushed him a bit too quickly. It took a bit of time for people to kind of buy in, at least from my own personal perspective. I thought it kind of had a bit of the Jinder Mahal type of feeling to it, where this guy just comes out of nowhere and all of a sudden gets thrusted into the WWE Championship picture. But at the same time, at least you could, you know, go on the narrative that JBL was a very top-level tag team competitor. Jinder Mahal before and after the the uh, WWE Championship reign has been a jobber. <clears throat> so that one, to this day, makes zero sense. And uh, I'll just say this quickly. I quit watching SmackDown when Jinder Mahal was champion. I just found that entire booking and story just so completely stupid. And <clears throat> it's nothing against Jinder Mahal. It's just like, if you want to build the guy, at least build him credibly. And if you want to keep him as a main event level competitor in the future, at least be consistent with it. But not to get sidetracked here, they go with JBL. And he was kind of the perfect foil for Eddie Guerrero. And Eddie Guerrero, you know, the lying, cheating, stealing, lovable, charming babyface 
with a Mexican background is now going against this presumably far right wing, true blood American from Texas who's just this arrogant ass and, you know, is a big shot on Fox News, wrote a financial book, is a financial analyst, plays the stock market. Like it was the perfect yin and yang and they gelled right away. And, you know, it was like oil and water, the way they mix, you know, he believed that America should be like this. And Eddie Guerrero was making a mockery of the championship. And it was kind of even a, they, it was an easy way to play off of where Guerrero and Angle had feuded in that regard. <clears throat> so they eventually collided Judgment Day, which was the SmackDown pay-per-view that followed WrestleMania. You had WrestleMania, which was co-branded, Backlash, which was Raw. And then would be followed by Judgment Day in May. And this match, not talked about a lot, but this was a gory, bloody match. Arguably the most blood I've ever seen in a match. That didn't come while the match was going on, but after the bell was rang, or rung rather, in favor of a disqualification victory for JBL. I would seriously suggest you guys to go watch that match. It is such a bloody and gory match. Like, something that you wouldn't even have expected from these two, like, at all. But this is when I got bought in. This when After this match went on, I got bought into this rivalry. Because even with Eddie Guerrero, like, it was a feel-good story. But you were still trying to get sold on the fact that this guy was the world champion or WWE champion. You know, when you go from the likes of, you know, Stone Cold Steve Austin to The Rock to Undertaker to Brock Lesnar to Kurt Angle back to Brock. And then on the other side of the card, you have Triple H and Shawn Michaels as the world heavyweight champion. And actually, Chris Benoit had just won the world title at this time as well. It was kind of tough to get sold on the fact that these guys who had historically been mid-card tag team competitors were now the world champions on their respective shows and then the other part about this was is at least on monday night raw while ang while benoit rather was champion he was entrenched with the rivalry with triple h and Shawn michaels so that was some credibility to work off of to make benoit look stronger here you were trying to get eddie guerrero over as a top level babyface world champion while trying to legitimize John Bradshaw Layfield, who just 
a month or two earlier was known as the tag team competitor as Bradshaw, a group that he had been with for the better part of five years, if not longer. So you were really trying to do two things at once over on SmackDown. You were trying to legitimize Eddie as a real top contender as a WWE champion as a babyface, and JBL as a top-level heel as a uh, contending for this championship. But after this match, seeing what these guys went through, the blood, what J- that chair shot that JBL took at the end from Eddie Guerrero, like the blood pouring everywhere, this really legitimized both these guys. And I think they had to. They absolutely had to have a performance like this because if they hadn't and just had a tra- traditional wrestling match, I don't know if the fans would have fully bought in and taken this rivalry seriously as the main event level rivalry on SmackDown. Because, like I said, on Monday Night Raw, you still had the legitimate world cha- or the legitimate top tier guys like Triple H and Shawn Michaels helping Chris Benoit along as his as with his first run as the world heavyweight champion. Over on SmackDown, Angle wasn't wrestling. Undertaker had just returned as the dead man. You had uh, Brock Lesnar just step away from the company. You know, SmackDown was bare at this time. It was bare at this time. And you had just brought the likes of Booker T over to SmackDown. They brought Rob Van Dam over to SmackDown, but he got hurt shortly thereafter. Like, this was a very you know, transitional period for SmackDown and they were going with two unknowns in the main event and this was something they absolutely had to do to legitimize it as a main event worthy rivalry and one to keep pace with Monday Night Raw who although in their own right was going down an unknown path with the world champion had bona fide main event level guys in HBK and Triple H really contending for that belt as well and helping Benoit along and getting him more legitimized in that role. So because Bradshaw won technically by disqualification, this leads to a rematch at the Great American Bash in what I believe is the first ever Texas bull rope match. And Great American Bash 2004, I believe it's greatly renowned as one of the more underwhelming pay-per-views in the history of WWE. I actually remember watching it live. I think I just turned 10 years old, and uh, it was the first pay-per-view that I was able to watch while I went to summer vacation. While I was on summer vacation, so I was really excited about it. But when this match was going on, obviously a bit of a weird concept. Like you had to tap each ring post um, four times consecutively, and you were tied by the wrist to each other. Uh, with the bell in the middle. It was a bit hard to comprehend at the beginning. I don't know if they've ever done it since. Certainly not that many times. But just when you thought A. Guerrero had the match won, something took a turn for the worst. Bradshaw touched off the close They line. both touched that third one. We are at three and three. 
The next person to touch the turnbuckle will win the title. That's right, that light should be on, but don't worry about the lights. He, he touched Rancho's gonna get it. Oh, shot on the the way. Rancho's gonna get it. Trying to hang on. Desperately trying to oh hang on. Oh my god, he's like five inches away, Rancho. Come on, Eddie. Deep down, deep, Eddie. Deep down, deep, Eddie. Pull him in, Eddie. Bring him in, Eddie. Look at this. Eddie Galero. And he's pulling him. That's how JBL became the WWE champion uh, on a technicality and Kurt Angle being wheeled out by Luther Reigns uh, while he was still in a wheelchair and rewards the championship to JBL. And this would spark JBL's nine month run as the WWE champion over on SmackDown. And um, it wouldn't be the last clash of Eddie Guerrero versus JBL as they would collide on a later episode of SmackDown in a steel cage. And Kurt Angle dressed up as a luchador would um, would screw over Eddie Guerrero and would later be unmasked, which would then reignite the rivalry between Guerrero and Kurt Angle that would lead to a match at them at uh, SummerSlam. But as for JBL and Eddie Guerrero, they would collide one more time in a fatal four-way match at Armageddon 2004, a match that JBL would later retain his WWE Championship. But uh, all in all, this pretty much closed the book on the rivalry between JBL and Eddie Guerrero. And in a lot of ways, I think that they cut this rivalry short, or not so much this rivalry, but more so the championship reign of Eddie Guerrero. I guess in a, in some ways they felt that they had more top-level babyfaces, or not even top-level, but more 
contender-worthy babyfaces uh, on SmackDown to go up against JBL as opposed to finding heels to go up against Guerrero. And obviously, they still had a lot of tr- uh, runway left with Guerrero and Kurt Angle. Obviously, they had only had the one match at WrestleMania, and they were able to you know reignite that with the match between these two at SummerSlam. And as for JBL, he moved on quickly to The Undertaker. He faced off against Taker at SummerSlam. And then he uh, would face him again at No Mercy. And then obviously Undertaker was involved in that Fatal 4-Way match as well. And then it quickly fast-tracked into John Cena versus JBL later that into 2005. I would have liked to see Eddie Guerrero get another run with the championship. And I'm sure he would have had it not been for his sudden uh, passing away in late 2005. But, I mean, all in all, it was a damn good run. It was an exciting run for Eddie Guerrero. And it was a much-needed run for SmackDown when they were going through a big transition. You know, Brock Lesnar stepped away. Kurt Angle kind of took a step back after really carrying the brand along with Brock in 2003. And they were going in a new direction with JBL. And Eddie Guerrero, I think, could have given more than the run they ultimately gave him. But obviously, they felt like JBL had a lot to give as well. And... JBL went on a pretty good run in his own right in 2004 and early 2005 as the WWE champion. Him too, it would be his only run as a world champion. I thought that they kind of exaggerated it a bit. Um, I thought that maybe Kurt Angle versus John Cena at, at WrestleMania 21 would have maybe been a better match. Like I always kind of felt like John Cena's first championship victory coming against JBL felt kind of... I don't know, lackluster a bit. Nothing against JBL, but I think all in all, he is more of a tag team mid-card guy. I'm happy he got the run with the WWE Championship. He obviously made the most of it. I just thought that maybe Kurt Angle versus Cena would have made more sense. But at the same time, we got Angle versus HBK at WrestleMania 21, and that was an instant classic. So who am I to say? But maybe Guerrero versus Cena, that also could have been an option as well. Like, Maybe have Guerrero win the championship back from JBL sometime in the winter of 2004. And you go babyface versus babyface Guerrero versus um, uh, Guerrero versus Cena. I thought that I think that's maybe something uh, that we could that they could have done better. I don't think it was really necessary for JBL to hold the championship all the way into WrestleMania 21. And I think that, you know, Eddie Guerrero was kind of in a throwaway match against Rey Mysterio, the tag team champions against each other at WrestleMania 21. I really felt that that was kind of a wasted match. But then that eventually fell into Rey Mysterio versus Eddie Guerrero. So I get that. But I don't know. I, I just, I don't think JBL should have held it that long. But all in all, JBL and Eddie Guerrero had a rivalry that over-delivered, in my opinion, and really helped SmackDown get through a big transitional period. Anyway, guys, that's all I got for you today. I hope you enjoyed JBL versus Eddie Guerrero. As always, you can catch me on Twitter at Adamarco25. You can catch Matt on Twitter at wrestling underscore audio. Or you can email him at realwwepodcast at gmail.com. Anyway, guys, stay safe out there. Enjoy the Elimination Chamber, and I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to the WWE Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a show or head to wwepodcast.com and for all of these shows ad free head over to patreon.com slash wwe podcast until then we'll see you next time